Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by Nir Eyal, entrepreneur, speaker, and author. Hello, Nir. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while because I'm quite interested in psychology and habits and all sorts of things like that. But before we get too embroiled in that, tell us um, a little bit about yourself. Where did you get that amazing name from? <laughs> well, I was born in Israel, but I moved to the United States when I was three years old, and uh, I've been here ever since. I live in San Francisco, and uh, I study and write and consult about habit formation and, and consumer psychology. Because you're an entrepreneur as well, haven't you? Tell us a little bit about that, some of the things that you've done. Sure. So that's actually where I kind of got started uh, in this whole psychology of of user behavior is that I, I used to be in the gaming and advertising industries. And, and let's face it, you know, these two industries are built upon mind control, right? That yeah, advertisers sure. don't, don't spend all that money uh, for their health. They spend that money because it influences people to do the things they want them to do, namely buying their products. Yeah. Uh, and, and when it comes to the gaming industry, similar story, right? Games are, are structured, online games are structured and built uh, to keep people engaged, to people keep people coming back time and time again. And so at the intersection of those t- two industries, I learned a lot about how to change uh, user behavior through different technologies. But what I realized was that there wasn't any guidebook for the rest of us. There wasn't any how-to manual for people who wanted to use the psychology of behavior design for good. Mm. And so when my last company was acquired, I decided to spend some time uh, better understanding as well as publishing these techniques around how to change user behavior uh, using various technologies. And you've written this book, haven't you, which uh, I think was it, was it published late last year? Was it, it was November time, I think, last year? That's right. Hooked, yeah. And the full title is Hooked. How to Build Habit-Forming Products. How to Build Habit-Forming Products. So you've basically codified how... Um, sort of, you know, advertising can sort of leverage the habit side of things. Can you describe that sort of pivotal moment when you realized or when you started to realize how these companies were doing it, getting people hooked on their products? Yeah, no, it's it. What was happening was I was seeing these examples. I was seeing all these products being built and uh, ad campaigns being run. And uh, it was it was interesting to me to find why some things worked and why some things flopped. 
And what I realized that even in these industries that are so dependent on changing user behavior, like advertising and gaming, there wasn't really a set of principles or there wasn't a reference manual that people turned to that explained why these things worked. They just did what had worked in the past or what maybe a competitor was doing that was working, but people didn't really understand the deeper psychology of why these things worked. Meanwhile, in academia, there was lots of very interesting studies going on in laboratories, and sometimes they would make it out to, you know, behavioral economics books that people would read and have very interesting dinner party conversation over. Yeah. But there wasn't this book that, that business people could use to actually build the products. Yeah. And I think that's a very that, that was something that was missing that, that I didn't have. And so I, I wrote the book that I was looking for. I wrote the book that that uh, if you're building a product or service and you want people to engage with it for their own benefit, right? I wrote it for people who are building healthy habits in people's lives. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is for the vast majority of businesses, you know, nobody cares. Nobody's using the product. Uh, and so for those people, I, I, I used to be that person, and I understand how frustrating it can be when you're working hard in a product that you really believe in, and, and for some reason, nobody's engaging with it. Yes. And so I really wanted to write this manual for people to, to help them build better products. Now, we'll come on to the four steps of the, of the Hook Model in a minute, but I just wanted to, you just alluded there to the sort of social responsibility side of it, because if you've come up with um, a sort of game plan for leveraging the sort of the, the mechanics of the human mind and habits and things. I mean, how do you do that and not be evil? <laughs> I mean, somebody quoted recently, didn't they? Perhaps you can remind me who it was, that the world is becoming a more addictive place. Right. So Paul Graham uh, said that, the famous investor and Y Combinator founder, said that the world is becoming a potentially more addictive place. And, yeah. and I agree, because what, what's, what's happening is that these cycles are occurring faster, that products are getting better at a faster rate, and that's and that's great, right? These things are are good, uh, in that the products and services that 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 we use habitually are also the ones that people are voting with their actions they like. Now, the, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret here that the book was actually a Trojan horse. Yeah. That the 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 reason people buy the book is because they want to build the next Facebook, right? They want to they want their product to succeed. They want to. Uh, excel in the workplace, and they want to make something great for people. And that's and that's terrific. The number one reason I wrote this book is because I think people can use these techniques for good, right? That's the sure. real reason I wrote this book. But then there's this other reason that gets delivered uh, when you read the book, which is that you realize a few things. One, you realize that these techniques are being used on you. Yeah. That that the reason that you're checking email a hundred times a day. The reason that we can't stop using Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and we feel so compelled by these devices is no accident. It's not something that just happened and these guys got lucky. It's designed into the DNA of these products to be engaging. And so in the book, I reveal why, what is the deeper psychology that keeps us coming back to these products hmm. so that product makers can integrate these lessons into their own products, but also as consumers, that we understand how these products engage us so that we can get our habits under control. And so there's this dual purpose of why I wrote this book. It's, it's the, the wrapper of this deeper meaning and deeper message of, you know, number one, we can use this for good. We can build healthy habits with these products. Number two, we ourselves are being manipulated by these products, so we need to be careful. And then number three, how do we, as product designers and business people, how do we use this responsibly? Because you've got some rules that you go through, haven't you, to make sure that uh, you're using it responsibility. Can you tell us a bit about those? 
Right. So the easiest uh, test I, I give in the book, and there's a whole chapter devoted to what I call the morality of manipulation. Uh, and, and, and there's a, there's a very simple test that I ask people to, to think about. And this is a test for people who, who care about the ethics of manipulation. And by the way, that doesn't mean you're going to be bad at business if you don't care about it. But when I get this question of, look, you know, how do we do this ethically? This is my response that if you're, if you're a designer or an entrepreneur or an, a marketer, and you want to use this technology for good, there's a two part test. Hmm. The first test, the first question is to ask yourself, do I believe that what I'm building materially improves people's lives? Yeah. And this is not a question for you to judge other people or for other people to judge you. This is a way for you to figure out how to spend your human capital, how to spend your precious time here on earth. Mm. Ask yourself, is what I'm working on materially improving people's lives? Yes or no? Yep. But that's not good enough. That's too easy. The next question you have to answer is, am I the user? Right. Am I the user? Why do I do that? Do you know by any chance? I'm guessing you don't, but let's let's see. Do you know the the at the rule the first rule of drug dealing now if i answer this correctly i'm going to sound like i'm a drug dealer aren't I? Um, <laughs> no maybe you I, just watch a lot of gangster movies <laughs> isn't it isn't it don't use your own drugs is that that's is that exactly it, it. that's yeah, exactly yeah. right never get high on yeah. your own honestly supply. listeners i'm not a drug dealer i have never <laughs> been a drug dealer I'm, it must be movies i've learned that from Right, right. Never get high on your own supply. So why did I give this two-part test? That it's not good enough just to say, oh, yeah, what I'm working on is good for people. Mm. You also have to be the user yourself. I'm making people break the first rule of drug dealing. Why? Because if there are any negative effects to abusing your product that you're working on, you're building the next Facebook or Twitter or whatever, yeah. if there's negative effects of people getting too sucked in and getting addicted, guess what? you're going to know about it. Yes, yes, of course. And yeah. so if you can answer that two-part test of, I believe I'm working on something that materially improves people's lives and I'm the user, not only do I think you're on the a good side of the ethics equation, it turns out you actually increase your odds of success. Because if you look at the people who started uh, Twitter and Google and Facebook and Instagram, all of these people were what I call facilitators. They were people who met that two-part test and really do believe they're doing something good for other people and they built it for themselves. Now, you can make money not passing those tests, right? You can build products that you actually yeah. don't think are very good for people, that you don't use. But I think that if you can answer in the affirmative to those two questions, you're on the uh, on the good side of the ethics question and you are more likely to succeed. Fantastic. Okay, Nero, let's let's drill down into the four steps because you've basically broke it down into sort of a, a four-step model, haven't you? Tell us a bit about that. Sure. So the model is called the hook. And we find that these hooks are in all sorts of technologies that keep us coming back, all sorts of products. I shouldn't just say technologies, offline and online, uh, that keep us uh, engaged. And these hooks have four basic steps. It starts with a trigger to an action to a reward and finally an investment. And we can walk through those four basic steps real quick. Uh, this is a very, very short overview. I mean, the whole book is about this this uh, model, sure. but every every uh, hook starts with a trigger. It generally starts with an external trigger. An external trigger tells you what to do next uh, with some piece of information. Click here, buy now, watch this. That's some kind of message that tells you what to do next. Mm -hmm. Then comes the action, the behavior itself. 
Then comes the reward. This is where your itch is scratched, where you get what you came for. It's typically a variable reward. It has some kind of mystery or uncertainty to that reward. And then finally comes the investment. The investment is where you put something into the product, like data, content, followers, uh, accruing a, a specific skill that you're learning, yeah. or reputation score. All of these things are things that you put into the product to increase the likelihood of the next pass, and they increase the likelihood of the next pass by storing value in the product, making the product more and more valuable with use, and loading the next trigger. So when I add friends, when I message, when I like, when I comment, all of these things that I do as the investment in a product bring me back by loading the next trigger. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With a message, with a reply, that brings me back through the hook once again. So that through successive cycles through this hook, trigger, action, reward, investment, the more times people go through these hooks, eventually from requiring these external triggers, eventually they form what's called an internal trigger association. Yeah. So an internal trigger is something uh, not in our environment, something in our heads that cues us to action. So being in a particular place, a certain routine, uh, an emotion, and particularly negative emotions, prompt us to action. We're lonely, we check Facebook. We're uncertain, we're on Google. We're bored, we check YouTube. So through successive cycle, through these hooks, these companies don't need these external triggers anymore. They begin to associate with these internal triggers. So the more number of times you go through this loop, if you like, near, the stronger it gets, presumably. That's right. That's right. And, you know, one of the things that our brains are very good at is pattern matching. Our yeah. brains are constantly looking to match patterns. And so whatever can provide relief from these negative emotions, boredom, uncertainty, uh, fatigue, uh, loneliness, whatever it is that these, these painful emotions, uh, uh, whatever we turn to reliably for, the, for relief is what we will use with little or no conscious thought time and time again. 
And there's a certain um, pattern to the reward, isn't there? Tell us a bit about that, the sort of variable reward versus the sort of the same reward every time. Sure. So there's uh, there's there's an interesting phenomenon that many of these products that have uh, the, these habit-forming aspects use not just a reward. It's not just about giving the user what they want. It's about a bit of uncertainty yeah. around that reward, a bit of mystery. And this comes from the classic work of B.F. Skinner, the father of operant conditioning. Skinner showed that when he gave a reward on a variable schedule of reinforcement, the the the, the subject, in his case, he used pigeons, he used la, uh, lab rats, and the, the, the pigeons would activate, they would do the reward more frequently when the reward was given on a variable basis. So sometimes mm-hmm. the pigeon would pick the le- uh, peck at the lever and they wouldn't get a reward. The next time they would get a reward. And what we see is the same exact mechanism of what makes slot machines uh, so habit-forming and oh, potentially yes. addictive. <laughs> what makes our newsfeed habit-forming and potentially addictive is this uncertainty, this, this variability about when we're going to see the next reward. Yeah. And in your book, you use a nice analogy, don't you? It's... Um... So it's, I think it's um, Pinterest, isn't it? Right. And so Pinterest, uh, they are the masters of, of this type of variable reward where uh, the, the action of scrolling on Pinterest and seeing all these interesting objects of desire, these images uh, with this uh, layout that they call, they call masonry layout, that when you're on a page on Pinterest, you just see the, the, t- the tips of what's below the fold and all you have to do yeah. to see more of those pictures is to scroll and scroll and scroll endlessly yes uh to, to keep seeing these rewards and facebook's the same isn't it you go and check out a, yeah. a notification on facebook and then you get some sort of slightly relevant or slightly less relevant content sort of coming up with it right it's this mix of the mundane and the interesting that keeps us constantly searching so i would i mean a lot of our listeners are sort of small and medium-sized businesses obviously they need to read your book and we'll talk more about that at the end where they can get it from but if you could give a couple of top tips to uh, you know small and medium businesses who want to embrace this sort of approach, what might they be? Right. So one one thing I, I should say is that uh, this isn't mag- magic pixie dust, right? Mm. That you don't. Not every business needs to form a habit. That there are plenty of ways to bring customers back to your place of business without forming a habit. You can use advertising. You can. Uh, uh, use word of mouth. You can ha- set up a physical storefront, right? You can set up shop at the corner and people will come to your place of business. Now, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if your business model depends on a habit, if your business model requires people to come back on their own, then you have to have all four steps of the hook. But even if you don't need that, even if you say, look, you know, my product is something that is used infrequently, that's, that's fine. You don't need to form a habit. There's still a lot to learn from consumer psychology that you can use to make the intended behavior more likely. So you can take out pieces from the hook, how to make the action more likely, how to use variable rewards, how to use investments to benefit your business. Uh, I was recently called in uh, to a conference where I spoke in front of 700 real estate agents. And uh, the, the, the person who was introducing me said, okay, we have Nir Ayal. He's a habit formation expert. He's going to tell you how to make home buying a habit. <laughs> well, well, there's no way. Home buying can never be a habit because it doesn't occur frequently enough. And it's a behavior done with a lot of thought, right? People debate about the kitchen and the bathroom and how many bedrooms and is the price right? That is not a habit. It's the antithesis of a habit. A habit by definition is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. So there's no way you're going to make buying a home a habit. But I did my job. I gave my presentation. 
And at the end of the workshop, a real estate agent, a few came up to me and, and they had these great ideas. One real estate agent said, look, I'm going to connect to the internal trigger of financial insecurity. Mm-hmm. Whenever someone in my neighborhood feels stressed about money, I want them to call me. That's the habit. And, that, and I know that for people in my community, that occurs two, three, four times a week. They're worried about their kids' tuition. They're worried about their retirement. The market fluctuations have, have caused them an ulcer. They're worried about money. And so I want them to call me and I'm going to provide them relief. And if they call me three or four times a week, that's no problem. I want to be there for them. She was because she was thinking about making this app for them as well. They could use to, to stay in touch with her and, and to receive more information yeah. so that over time, the result of this engagement, the reason that, that, that she had established this habit was so that eventually when they were ready to buy or sell their home, guess who they're going to call to transact? And so that that would be a great example of how engagement leads to monetization. So it's not always – yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? So you really have to think through um, the nature of your product to to work out how to um, implement this correctly, don't you? Right, right. I think far too many businesses, when they think about, okay, how do I make a habit about making me money? Yeah. And I think that's the wrong approach, that we have to figure out how do we keep consumers engaged by giving them something valuable, by solving one of their problems. Now, the result over time, if you do that properly, will be that they will come to you and pay you money. right? But that's not where we start. We have to start from the perspective of not how do we get people to check out, to buy something and check out and leave, but how do we build it again? right? How do we get them to engage with us on a frequent enough basis that we are top of mind? So we've talked about the uh, hooked method methodology in terms of like marketing, but can it be used internally in the organization there to sort of improve habits within the organization? You know, yeah, I'm not an organizational behavior expert, uh, so it's a little bit far afield for me. But what I see is actually a, a little bit of a different problem. I, I, I think that one problem that, that um, plagues companies these days is that they've become addicted uh, to, to certain bad habits and bad technology, specifically around communication technologies, and even more specifically email, mm. that uh, a lot of companies that I see are unhealthily addicted to busyness. Mm. And what they're, what's happening many times in the enterprise is that um, you know, the people are under stress. As they're under stress, they're looking for ways to alleviate that stress. And so instead of doing w- the right thing, which is many times to think strategically, to, to filter out the noise and concentrate and do the work, instead of doing the hard stuff, they email. Yeah. And they, and, and they have meetings. Why? Because it's something that they can control as opposed to something that actually needs to get done. Mm. And so that's something that I think is plaguing the enterprise today is that we send emails and we have meetings because it's something we can do as opposed to something we – need to do yes <laughs> right yeah and and so and it, and that and that takes advantage i mean email is is the mother of habit forming technology it's incredibly habit forming and even addictive uh because it has these hooks built right into the 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 functional uh the, the way that email works and so i i'm a big advocate of figuring out ways 
to get technology out of the enterprise. I think we're overly reliant on, on particularly email in the enterprise. But the good news is that there's a lot of new tools coming out. Slack is a good example of a tool that's doing incredibly well right now. We use Slack as well at work, actually. Right. Yeah. Right. So what's wonderful about Slack is that it blocks out email, right? If you're in an organization that uses email, if you, uh, sorry, that uses Slack, and somebody you know, walks behind you and sees that you're not in Slack, you're probably slacking off. <laughs> like you, there's be no reason for you to not, not to be in Slack because it's oh it's internal. It's only about this internal company communication. What it does is prevent people from going into this vortex of of email junk that they find when when they're uh, outside of of Slack. And and there's other things that we should do. I mean, Slack doesn't solve the problem completely because people can get into over messaging each other on Slack as well. Um, but I think that thinking consciously around you know when when is this good for us and when does this hurt us is something that I think more enterprises should do. Well, Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, a, it's an area I could talk for quite a while, but you better leave it there. So how can our listeners find out uh, more about you and more about the book? Where can they get the book from? Oh, my uh, book is called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. It's available wherever books are sold, uh, on Amazon or in the local bookstores. Yeah. Uh, and my blog is nearandfar.com, and near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R and far.com. I think, did I see your book also on Audible? I think I did uh, recently. Yeah. Yes. Audible yeah. as well, folks, if you want to listen to it while driving along or running <laughs> or standing at the bus stop. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And thanks to our listeners for listening. You can find show notes at sitevisibility.com slash podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and we like reviews. And if you want to email us, it's podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk. And we have a, a hotline, plus four four one two seven three two five six. 150 if you want to leave a question or a message so it's goodbye from me andy white and it's goodbye from near thank you so much good to meet everyone and we'll see you next time on internet marketing planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 